Hello and welcome to this Life Changes podcast. You are now listening to one of our Sunday messages. If you'd like to know more about Life Changes, you can visit us on Facebook, Twitter or Instagram. Now lean in and enjoy. And uh, Welcome to Easter Sunday, Resurrection Sunday. And we are so confident in the good news of Jesus Christ. We, as we watch those stories, as our hearts swell with joy because we know those stories. Uh, if you're visiting, you might not know these people, but for us, they are, are people in this community. They're not hired people. They're not actors. They're people in this community. And uh, it's one side of the cardboard, and it seems so easy to flip it over. But in between, there's a whole lot of mess and stories and vulnerability and only God sort of type of story. So we are so grateful that we can celebrate with you this Sunday because we believe that uh, the fact that Jesus rose from the dead and we have Resurrection Sunday, we believe with such excitement in our heart that resurrection declares the old is made new. We believe that the resurrection declares that the broken is made whole. We believe it declares that the dead is made alive. And the greatest news of all is that resurrection takes what should have been the worst day of humanity's history. The day when humanity, you and I included, we crucified our only hope of salvation. When humanity spat in Jesus' face, when humanity crucified him and put the nails in his hands, and it was our sin that put him there. What should have been to our shame, what should have been our worst day, because of resurrection, becomes our greatest day. And we believe that because of resurrection, what is your worst day? That actually he can still do it today. That what is your worst day? What is your most depraved memory? What is your most broken thought? What is your most angry moment? That Jesus can take that moment and turn it for good. And that you too can have a story that will be emblazoned, not just on cardboard, but on your life forevermore. That the old is gone. That the new has come. Why? Because he died and rose again for you. And we want that news to ring out across this room this morning and to go deep into every single heart here. And I pray you receive it as well. My name is Gabe Phillips, and I get to be a pastor in this amazing church. And uh, I have a wife named Fiona. We've been married for about five years now. We've got a little redhead called Olivia Grace, who's two. And we've got another little baby, a boy, who's coming in about four weeks' time. So we're very excited. And uh, the amazing thing was on Friday, I sat down with my little girl, and I started to explain to her, the, the, the gravity of this weekend. I started to walk her through the theology of Jesus' death, the propitiation. I explained to my two-year-old, I said, you know, the expiation, what happened on the cross, and justification. And, and I explained to her all these things. And, and I just, I really did a good job laboring it out for her, even had some diagrams. Um, and as I did that, she looked at me with the sweet eyes. And at the end of all of this, she said to me, happy birthday, Easter egg. So um, my prayer is I'm going to do a better job this morning with you guys. But on that note, why don't you look around, find somebody next to you, and just wish them happy birthday Easter egg. If they're bald, it might be a bit offensive. So uh, choose, choose who to greet. Uh, a little chocolate egg there in the front row, Wayne. Welcome to church. But we're going to read scripture this morning. John chapter 20 is where we are. It's a familiar text. So if you've got your Bibles, why don't you turn there? If not, it'll be on the screen behind me. But John 20, verse 1 through to 18, it says this. On the first day of the week, early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb and found that the stone had been rolled away from the entrance. She ran and found Simon Peter, another disciple, the one whom Jesus loved. She said, they have taken the Lord's body out of the tomb, and we don't know where they've put him. Peter and the other disciples started out for the tomb. They were both running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. 
He stooped and looked in and saw the linen wrappings lying there, but he didn't go in. Then Simon Peter arrived and went inside. He also noticed the linen wrappings lying there, while the cloth that had covered Jesus' head was folded up and lying apart from the other wrappings. Then the disciple who had reached the tomb first also went in, and he saw and believed. For until then, they still hadn't understood the scriptures that said Jesus must rise from the dead. Then they went home. Mary was standing outside the tomb crying, and as she wept, she stooped and looked in. She saw two white-robed angels, one sitting at the head and the other at the foot of the place where the body of Jesus had been lying. Dear woman, why are you crying? The angels asked her. Because they have taken away my Lord, she replied, and I don't know where they've put him. She turned to leave and saw someone standing there. It was Jesus, but she didn't recognize him. Dear woman, why are you crying? Jesus asked her. Who are you looking for? She thought he was the gardener. Sir, she said, if you've taken him away, tell me where you've put him and I'll go and get him. Mary, Jesus said. She turned to him and cried out, Rabboni, which is Hebrew for teacher. Don't cling to me, Jesus said, for I haven't ascended to the Father. But go find my brothers and tell them I'm ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene found the disciples and told them, I have seen the Lord. Then she gave them his message. Let's pray this morning. Father, I pray for us as a people that as we hear your word this morning, God, would lives come alive. Would our souls leap for joy. I thank you, Father God, the most shameful things about us, the most secret things about us, the most devastating things about us would find new meaning in the light of your death and resurrection. I thank you, Father God, that nothing is impossible for you. So do your work within us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Um, I don't know about you, but uh, maybe you've had moments like this in your life where uh, one word would come to mind would be an epiphany. In, in Christian circles, the word is a revelation. For simple guys like me, it's like when the lights come on. And when I'm, by saying lights come on, I don't mean when ESCOM stops your load shedding. What I mean is, uh, by the way, I've just seen my family there. Sorry, I'm, just, I'm very blind. Lovely to see you guys. Fonfintils, lovely to see you. I apologize. I'm like, I know you guys. Lovely to see you. Have you ever had a moment like that where you, yeah, they're right there. That helped my point perfectly. But have you ever had a moment where the lights come on and, and, and it's just like everything suddenly makes sense. Things that you just only glimpse and you think, hey, I think I get it. Then all of a sudden, oh, I get it. Well, just for the sake of time, I want to tell you this morning that this, this week as I've been reading this familiar passage, I've been reading it again and again, and I've been doing it for many years. I had a moment of enlightenment, a moment of like, wow, where it felt like God himself was speaking life into my soul. And I pray that pray they'll encourage you this morning. But it's actually happened in quite a, a strange place, a place that I probably wouldn't have thought it would happen. It actually happened at the very beginning of the text. In the first line, it says this, on the first day of the week, the Apostle John is talking, he says, on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary went to the tomb. Now for me, I, in my Bible, I've read that text, I've underlined passages, those words, while it was still dark, are not underlined in my Bible. Because in the past, I'm just going, John is making a reference to the time of day. Thanks for letting us know what time it was. It's 10.22 right now. Let's move on. That, that's what I felt it was. But, but as I realized, as I lent in more, I said, there's something here. So I scratch at my soul as I started to read this line again and again. I realized that actually the other gospel writers who write of the same event, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they write of the same event, but they don't use those words. They use early in the morning. Or at a daybreak. But John uses the words while it was still dark. Now, what was John trying to do? Was he trying to give us a 
the time of day trying to tell us it was very early. It was, it was before Wackhead Simpson would come on radio. What, what was he trying to do for us? Was he trying to tell us that it was early? Or was there something a little bit more deeper there? Well, as I started to read and do a bit of studying, and, and, I, and I've really known that the, I thought like, this is a good word for the Milnerton community because as I look at it, I see some really intelligent people here. You're mostly intelligent people. Sorry, just that. No, I see a lot of intelligent people, so I've, I feel that we can, we can learn some Hebrew this morning. Are you guys all ready? Havenu shalom alechem, and all that. Let's go, let's go. Here we go. So the word I want to teach you this morning that has just, just really helped me understand who Jesus is in a whole new light is the word that is translated dark there. While it was still dark is this word here on the screen behind me. That word is guttural. That, it's not chosek. You can't say a Hebrew word chosek. It's hosek, hosek. So say it with me. What you got to do, guttural, hosek. Oh, you guys are good. You guys are good, man. Right there. You guys are like Hebrew scholars. But that word, Hoshik, when he says, while it was still dark, that word is translated in the, in the Greek equivalent and in the, the Aramaic version is equivalent of dark, obscure, disillusioned, despair, or death. So this is incredibly powerful. So when John says, while it was still dark, I start to understand he's not just telling us the time of day. He's telling us the actual this, the state of the environment in Mary Magdalene's heart. He's telling us that while it was still dark, Mary, while it was still dark, disillusioned, obscure, in despair, while death with the, the, the smell of death, the shadow of death was still lingering over Mary's heart. And as I started to read that, I started to understand, let's, let's understand who Mary Magdalene is right now. Very quickly, the first time we encounter Mary Magdalene is in Luke chapter 8. Her and a whole bunch of other ladies. But before we talk about her, we talk about women in general in the culture. Women in that culture were second-rate citizens, especially in the religious sector. Men were the ones who would go into the temple. The men were the ones who would, who would, would then pass on the news to the ladies. Men were the ones who would hear the news first. They would explain what's going to the ladies. Ladies were often left on the outside of the story looking in. But then we find this lady, Mary Magdalene, and a whole bunch of ladies in Luke chapter 8. They encounter a man named Jesus who's come to turn the status quo on his head. And as he encounters these women, the Bible tells us he sets them free of many demons. So, so can you imagine an amazing moment, a powerful encounter? And then this incredible moment is culminated as it says, then they followed him. These women followed Jesus. They joined in this incredible narrative of Jesus and all his miracles. They became not periphery members, people on the outside looking in their part. It was in a circle. So much so, it tells us that these were the women who funded the ministry. So the, the, the boys were doing all the cool stuff, but the women were actually paying the bills. Yeah. Anyway. Just thought I'd mention that. But these women were, were following, and, and I can imagine for Mary, her whole world would have been turned upside down. Her identity would have been changed by this one man who said, actually, no, you're not going to stay on the outside. You're going to come join in this, this, this incredible story of what I'm rewriting in history. Her identity would have been reformed. Her sense of belonging would have been reshaped. As now she's not just outside, but she's part of the crew, part of the inner circle, part of the, the excitement, the miracles, the amazing things that Jesus is do, doing. She's now identity restructured, her belonging, her sense of value, her purpose, and ultimately her future has been reshaped. Her world is looking so much more different now Jesus is there. And excitement is probably leaping aside saying, what's next? Because he's saying these, these, these incredibly huge things, saying, I'm going to restore the kingdom. I've come to, to destroy the temple. I'll rebuild. And she's like, I've got a front row ticket to the greatest show on earth. And then Jesus dies. And I can imagine on that Friday, Mary is, is, is looking in on this. And as Jesus dies, I believe so too does in her soul, her identity, her belonging, her value, her purpose, her future would have crumbled inside of her saying, 
That's it. And if I, if I may, I would imagine a sense of Hoshek would have settled upon her. Is that really what happened? The next day, Saturday, a day of obscurity, a day that she probably woke up with what would have been a malaise, a type of hangover going, did that really happen yesterday? Is it over? Is Jesus really dead? Surely not. He's going to come knock at any moment. And it was just a dream. But there seems to be an obscurity about it. There seems to be a disillusionment, a despair. And as she looks around, the other boys, the disciples have already gone back to fishing. Maybe they can explain to us. No, but they're already back fishing. And she can, I can imagine her going, whoa, it's status quo. Here we go. Back to the beginning, same as it's always been. And for Mary, she started to, I can imagine, that started the darkness sort of settled upon her soul. And that's when we pick up that. It says, while it was still dark, Mary went to the tomb. And we find her first reaction in the story is this profound reaction where she sees the stone has been rolled away and her mind doesn't leap to all Jesus' prophetic statements that he'd been saying that I will rise from the dead. You, though you kill me, I'll rise. Uh, you know, he, she doesn't pick, work that out. Why? Because obscurity has come. The situation's too big for her to comprehend. Darkness has clouded her soul. So what does she do? She, the first thing she thinks is, I've got to run to Peter and John, the, an unnamed disciple in this text who comment, as say as John. Just a quick a little thought. The guy writing the book says, Peter and the other disciple whom Jesus loved. He's talking about himself. Just a self-brag, you know? you know? And he actually says, Peter ran to the tomb, but the other disciple outran him. He's meaning himself. Basically, that's just like you know, the humble brag by John. Thanks, John. But Peter and John, she runs to Peter and John away from the empty tomb, away from the resurrection life that was there. She runs to Peter and John to say, thieves have taken the body. In a moment of despair, her first thoughts go to what do I know? It goes back to logic, goes to rationale, even though she'd had to almost suspend that for a few years as she goes, the impossible is happening before my eyes. In this moment, she goes back to what she knows. She goes back to what she knows in this moment. But actually when she says a thief has stolen the body, she got it wrong, but let me say she got it half wrong. What I mean, because a heist had already happened that weekend, but it wasn't the heist that she was thinking there. A heist had happened on the Friday when two thieves were crucified, but there's a third thief in the middle named Jesus Christ, a thief who had been stalking death and sin for three years and stalking it and looking in his eye and finished the, the, the robbery of all robberies on Good Friday when he robbed humanity of its shame. He robbed the grave of his victory. He robbed death of its sting. A heist had already happened. But she thought it was in a smaller level. So she ran to what she knew. And as she ran to Peter and John to tell them this, as I read this, I started, my heart said, I'm just like Mary. Because so often resurrection life and, and God's good things for me are beckoning. And in that moment, I always often seem to find my soul tending to go back to what I know. Running away from the life, running back to old habits, running back to old safety blankets, running back to old ways of thinking, running back to old excuses. When resurrection is beckoning, but actually I'm like, I just don't know if I can really believe it's true. Maybe you're the same as me and you find yourself doing that often. And you're caught in the shadow of sin, obscurity, despair, death, and you're running to other sources. But the story goes on as, as she runs to Peter and John and she tells him, thieves have come, so they, they, they run to the temple. Peter gets there first, John, John gets there first, Peter just behind them. But we told something very quickly about these guys' character. Peter tells, gets there, sees the stones roll the way, he walks straight in. Says he walks straight in, he sees the, the linen cloth that's still there. He realizes that the thieves haven't come and taken the body because they would have taken the linen cloth because it would be more wealthy, more expensive than the body. So he goes, thieves haven't done this. He sees it and he believes. That's Peter. And some of us are like that. We walk in, yeah, I believe. That's cool. Good enough for me. John gets there, tells us, he stops at the entrance. Pauses, thinks, processes a bit, then takes a deep breath, then goes in and it says, then he believes. 
Where's Mary in this? It tells us that Mary, the two guys go in, but Mary reverts to type and she says, let the guys go in and she stays at the door weeping. Mary doesn't go in. Mary, because of Hoshek, stays outside in the distress. It tells us that Peter John left with joy. He's alive, leaving Mary behind. Nice guys, good move. Somebody tell Mary that, but she's just standing there in Hoshek. It's so dark, it's so disillusioned, obscure. Death has crowded in her soul that she cannot see past this moment. She stays at the entrance. What's powerful, what convinced Peter and John, I imagine as one, one commentator talk about the story that actually in, that in, in, in Jewish tradition, as a linen cloth was left there, and it, it tells us, John tells us there was a separate cloth that was covering the face that was, had been folded in two, that, that word there for the cloth is the same word that they would use for a napkin in, in, in eating circles in, in, in Jewish tradition. And we're told that in, in Jewish households, when the master was eating, if the servant was there, the servant would be watching the master. And if the master had finished the meal and was done with it, he would crumple up the napkin and throw it on the floor or throw it on the table. Then the servants would know he's done. But if the master would fold the napkin and put it on the table, it means that he was gone, but he's coming back. So we see that John the Riot tells us that the headcloth had been folded. So Peter and John, they know in the moment, it is finished, but he's not yet done. The master's coming back. So that thing, they left and they believed, but Mary was staying at a distance outside. Chosek was holding her back from entering the fullness that Christ had for her. And I believe, as I read that, I was like, I'm like that. Maybe you're like that, where for so long I've believed that often moments of resurrection, life, and power, and freedom, and joy, and liberty, and peace are beckoning me, but I stand just outside of it. I just, I, I play the game, and I'm there, but I stand just outside because I, I allow disqualification. I, dis, I allow doubt. I like dis, allow disappointment that people have let me down to hold, just hold me at arm's length, length away from the power that God has. And if I'm honest, I think I'm just like Mary. Horsack holds on my heart. Stay close, but don't enter into the freedom. Finally, we see Mary in the story. It says that she, she, she stooped low and she looks in. She peers in and, and this powerful scene happens. She sees two angels in there. Now, I don't know about you. I, I've never physically seen angels. But a moment like that, if I see angels, I'm like, okay, I, I, I believe now. I believe now. But for Mary, that still wasn't good enough. She's, she's still there and she said, please tell me where they've taken my Lord. It says tears are flowing from her eyes. Why? Because I believe that while it was still dark, there was Horshak all over her that she could not see past it. Their eyes were not even picking up the miraculous activities that were going on because she was so entrenched in her despair and her disillusionment and her fear and her doubt in the death, shadow of death that everything had been gone. She couldn't see what was happening in front of her. And the Bible tells us that actually in this moment, she turned to leave. So in that moment, she sees these other guys are gone, but she turns to leave in sadness. As I read that, I go, I've done that many times. Maybe you're here today where you, you're just saying, I'm sitting here, Gabe, and somebody's invited me, or, or maybe I've been coming for a long time, but I've been playing the game for a long time. I've been smiling, but actually inside I'm crumbling. And actually, I'm ready to throw in the towel at any minute. I'm ready to walk away at any minute. My marriage, it seems like it's okay, but actually, I'm done with it. I don't have any more strength for it. My, 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 my courage to, make, to keep going and, and staying, staying sober, staying on the, what the promises are made, that courage is crumbling, and I'm ready just to revert back to type. Maybe whatever that story is, maybe you're at that place where you're feeling inside, everything's good here, but actually, I'm at just at the point where I want to turn and leave. Well, we just like Mary in this moment. But as I start to read the story, and I start to ponder this word, Hoshak, 
and what, it, what the ramifications of it, I started to ponder to myself saying, is this the first time that that word is used? Is that the first time that we see this word used? And as, as, I, as I found out, it's not the first time it's used. The writer John uses it for the first time actually in John chapter 1, his first chapter. It'll be on the screen here behind us. This is what it says in John chapter 1. It says, and this is the same writer, it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through Him all things were made. Without Him nothing was made that has been made. In Him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness. That word there is Hoshak. The light shines in the despair. The light shines in the disillusionment. The light shines in obscurity. The light shines in the death. And the darkness, the Horshak, has not overcome it. First time it appears. Now, my mind works like this, and I don't know about you, but I, I've seen those words in the beginning before. You don't have to be around church very long to know that the whole Bible starts with those three words, in the beginning. Now, John, a good Jewish boy, when he's writing those words, in the beginning, Jewish people if they'd read that John was writing that, they would have been fuming at that. Because they're saying, John, what are you doing? You're taking the Torah, the Holy Torah, and you're starting your book with the same three words that the Torah starts with. Who do you think you are? And they would say, John, are you trying to tell us that you're rewriting the creation story? Are you rewriting a new creation story, a new creation account? And that's blasphemy, surely. He said, are you writing a new creation account, John? To which John would have said, yep, you bet I am. Why? Because let's have a look. Let's keep going all the way back in the beginning. Let's just trace this word all the way to the beginning. Genesis chapter 1 starts with those words, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty, and I've never seen that, but as I read that line again, empty, formless, and darkness, that word darkness, believe it or not, is the same word that John used, Hoshak. Not just the state of being, not just the world was black state of nothingness. No, no, you say God, that the word there is despair, disillusionment, obscurity, even death. But here's an incredible thing, is as we read that story, we find out unfold in page one of the Bible, we find that God there, it shows us, as we keep reading, it says that, it says, darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. What does that teach me? Straight away, I started to understand that God is a God who doesn't away, run away from our Horshak. God is a God who doesn't run away from our darkness, our despair, our disillusionment, our brokenness, our mess. God is not a God who runs away from it. Actually, He's present in it. In your darkest moment, in your most broken moment, in your most painful memory, Jesus says, I'm there. He has, I keep reading the story, the very next verse, God doesn't stay, just stay, I'm here. He actually engages with it. And the first thing we hear God saying is this, let there be light. And the light and the Horshak are separated. The light invades the world. Can I tell you, in that moment, I realized that God is not just present and he's not running away from like Mary does. And he's not just standing at a distance. He's actually engaging, engaging in my darkness. He's engaging in my brokenness. And the pinnacle of it all, as you keep reading, is that God said, let there be light. And light obeyed, darkness obeyed and retreated. And the seas and the mountains and the earth all got formed by the word of his mouth. But we know the story in Genesis, we find day six, the pinnacle of creation. When he was creating humanity, he did not say, let there be man. He didn't speak. He didn't speak at all. It says he bent down low into the dust of the earth, of the dirt of the earth. And God started to fashion out of the dirt of humanity, of the earth, he created man. And then he breathed his life into Adam. And Adam became a living being and opened his eyes. And I want to say the first 
first, the first view of God that Adam got was not of a judge looking down arrogantly or, or disapprovingly, not as a distant father, not as a figure with a measuring stick saying, How, this is your job, he has a job for you. No, the first face that Adam saw of creator was just that, of a creator, of a loving father, creator with eyes burning with joy as this creation comes to life, and a, and a father who's got dirt on his hands, whose hands have been in the dirt fashioning mankind, I hasten to add that the first image we get of God in the Bible is that of a gardener calling creation into being, hands dirty, fashioning humanity out of the dirt of the earth. The first glimpse we have of, the, the, of God in the first page of the Bible is that of a gardener. Let's go back to John chapter 20 to f- finish the reading quickly. John chapter 20 on the screen says this, she turned to leave and saw someone standing there. It was Jesus, but she didn't recognize him. Dear woman, why are you crying? Jesus asked her, who are you looking for? She thought he was the gardener. Now, I've read that for many years. And I've gone, maybe she just was like me, she couldn't see. Maybe the tears were that many, she couldn't recognize the one she had spent three years with. Maybe, she, maybe the, the hoshak was so dark upon her that she couldn't see. Or maybe, just maybe, John is giving us an illusion as he has the whole way through his book that he is rewriting the new creation story that actually, just like in the first page, the first image that we see of the resurrected king, the resurrected Christ, is that of a gardener who doesn't reveal himself to a crowd on the top of a mountaintop, doesn't reveal himself in the temple, but reveals himself in a garden to a woman who should have been excluded, who was in the midst of her darkest day, He looks like a gardener. What am I trying to do this morning for us is awaken our souls. Because maybe you're here today and you're facing the darkest day of your soul. Or maybe you've been walking that journey for a long time. Somebody died in your home and you've never been able to walk free of that. Maybe something has died within you, metaphorically. Maybe you're involved in a sin that you've just had habit that you've never been able to conquer. You've kept up pretenses, but you can't do it. Maybe there's a depression that's settled in that no one else understands. And that you've masked and you've kept it good and a disillusionment or somebody's betrayed you. And you're saying, I wish if, if, if I could just get vengeance, then I'll be able to move on. But you haven't been able to move on from that moment. You've been in a state of, a state of horseshack for so long in darkness and you're smiling and it's good but Horshack is on top of you and you cannot move free from it I want to tell you today the gardener is present the gardener is present and he says I'm not afraid of your mess I'm not afraid of your darkness I'm not afraid of disillusionment hand it to me because I make beautiful things out of the dirt this is the power of resurrection life and you see the story finishes in this profound way Mary still doesn't get it. He says, where have you taken the body? Let me go see it. Jesus doesn't give an explanation. He says one word, Mary, Mary. And at that one word, hearing the word spoken from his mouth, she, the darkness, I can, as I read the text, I just could see the darkness shift off her and a different woman come alive. Rabboni, meaning teacher. And Jesus says, I, I've got, don't touch me right now because I haven't gone to the Father, but go tell the others. Go tell the others. I'm giving you purpose. I'm not just letting you to stay in what was. I'm giving you a bigger future than you've ever imagined. He said, go tell them about my, my Father and your Father, my God and your God. And he gives her a story that is much bigger than she could ever fathomed or ever dreamt of or ever imagined. But with one word, the darkness fled. With one word, Horshak left, just like it happened in Genesis 1. With one word, let there be light, darkness obeyed. 
Can I tell you today, with one word, sir, ma'am, one word from the gardener, one word from the resurrected king to your souls, I believe, we believe that resurrection life can happen. Just like the stories of those people with cardboards, there's a whole lot of mess. Why I cried is those stories are not just headlines. They're not quick, simple fixes. But in between those stories is a whole lot of mess, a whole lot of brokenness, a whole lot of darkness that people have just said, I'm giving it to the gardener. And the God has rewritten stories that they could never have dreamt or imagined. And we believe that he can do the same for you. I believe he can do the same for me. This morning, I want to invite us to respond to this man named Jesus Christ who is not dead but who is alive. Because on the first day of the week, John says on the first day of the week, alluding again to the creation story. Because creation, God worked for six days and then rested on the seventh. Just like Jesus on the sixth day of the week, the Good Friday, he did his, finished his work. And on the seventh day, Sabbath, Saturday, he rested. But on the first day of the week, Sunday, the day of new beginnings, eight, the day of new beginnings, the start of a new story, he rose from the dead. And even though while it was still dark for her, the stone had been rolled away. Jesus wasn't waiting for a darkness to leave before his work began. He has the incredible news for you and I. You might be in the depth of your brokenness. Can I tell you the healer has risen? You might be in the most, the, the most the desperate of states. Can I tell you the forgiver has risen? You might be in the most broken of moments of your life. The comforter has risen. You might be in the depth of your mess. The gardener has risen and says, I still make beautiful things out of the dirt. Sir, ma'am, what are you going to do with your dirt? What are you going to do with your darkness? Carry it for another day? Labor under it for another year? Hide it well for another moment? Are you going to run away to other people, other, other places of false security? Are you going to stand at the entrance here today and say, that sounds great for them, but I'm not going to go in? Are you going to turn to leave even saddened in your heart? Or are you going to say, Jesus, the gardener, here it is. Let your work begin. I'm going to call the band up at this moment. Now I want to pray for us. But I want to tell you today, as I said at the beginning, resurrection declares the old is made new, the broken is made whole, the dead comes alive. The thief who was crucified as a thief has performed the greatest heists of all time. Friday a thief, Sunday a king. And he's risen with the keys of Hades and death in his hands. Hades and Horshack in his hands, holding the keys of life and death and says, I can unlock any locked door. I can open up any broken past and make a new future. Will you trust him today, sir, ma'am? He can take the worst thing about you, the most shameful thing about you, the most painful thing about you and turn it to victory. Why don't we close our eyes in this moment? you're here today and you're saying I've been laboring under darkness for too long maybe it's even be secret darkness, people don't know about it people think everything's good but there's this state of obscurity, a state of disillusionment, a state of depression, a state of sin a state of shame a state of brokenness a state of shadow of death over your heart and you say I can't shake it state of fear but you're like you're saying I'm supposed to be free of this but I have this this gnawing sense of fear and anxiety that eats away at me I believe today is a day of freedom if you hand your mess to the gardener with every eye bowed if that's you eye closed head bowed if, if that's you like me and I, this is for me is just 
call saying for us to hand our lives to Him again. If that's you and you say, I'm not going to run away any longer. I'm not going to stand at a distance any longer. I'm not going to walk away any longer carrying my own darkness anymore. I'm going to allow His light to invade that space, that shameful space, that broken space, that painful space. Can you lift your hands with me to Him? Lift your hands to Him this morning. Father, I thank you as hands are lifted up just as signifying surrender, signifying handing over to you, handing over to you, Jesus, the keys of our life. We say, Jesus, yours. I thank you, Father God, would light invade painful moments, would light invade betrayed moments, would light invade broken moments, would light, would light invade moments of darkness right now. I thank you, God, that your light will invade sinful moments right now, breaking the habit of sin, breaking the addiction of sin, breaking the, the rejection that has hung upon us for too long. I thank you, Father God, as your word goes out, you're declaring old made new. You're declaring broken made whole. You're making dead come alive. You're making the end to Hoshak. I thank you, Father, right now, would you do this in our midst? Would you do this in our midst? I'm going to call up a friend, Ange, who's got a word just for us, a scripture for us this morning as we land this time. And why I think it's also powerful is the first person to witness the resurrection of Jesus was not a priest, was not a prophet, was not a king, wasn't even one of the disciples. It was a woman. And I actually believe God is wanting to breathe hope into our lives. People who feel disqualified, who feel rejected, who feel broken, that hope is here. And I feel God is going to speak through a woman to our hearts this morning as we land this time. Thanks. Morning, guys. So um, God's just put this scripture on my heart for quite a few weeks now. It's, um, sorry. Your future is bright and filled with a living hope that will never fade away. And that's in Proverbs 23, verse 18. Um, last year, me and my husband moved here from Durban. It was definitely a, a move of faith. But this year has been chaos. Like every single thing could just go wrong, has gone wrong. And, and I'm like, Lord, but you know, I feel like you've called us here. And he said, just have hope. My hope does not fade away. Hang on. And um, Tuesday morning, I got up and my husband sitting in the lounge, getting ready to go to work. And he's like, I can't have hope today. I just feel defeated. There's too much happening. There's too much in, on top of us. I can't do this. So I just said to him, you know, we've got to have hope. <laughs> what do you say? Like those words, you know, hope, hope. And he got to work. And um, during the day, he looked out of his window and there was a parade and they were holding up a banner that said March of Hope. And he sent me a picture. He's like, look at this. <laughs> it's a sign, you know, March of Hope. And he, it really, it, it brought hope into his heart again because that's how God speaks to us, you know, in these times and these hard things. And we do go through troubles. It's part of life. It's part of our journey. But the, the word says, and I'm going to read you this other scripture because it's profound. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. So I said to God, you know, I, I had this picture of Jesus and He's got His cross and He's walking up and I said, Lord, is that the picture of hope? He said, no, it's the empty tomb. It's the scars in his hands. That's our living hope. He is alive. He's not dead. He's not money that's dead. He's not maybe the dead relationship you, ha you have at the moment. 
He is the living hope. He is living Christ who actually lives in us as well. So we are capable of rising above and living in this space of hope. And I just, I have such a strong sense this morning that God wants to pour hope into our hearts. If you need hope for that marriage, if you need hope for your finances, I even feel there are people here who need hope for broken dreams and you are tired of hanging on and hanging on and persevering. There is a God of hope and He's alive, He's living and He wants to bring that hope to you.